Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And in this intro, we are going to be giving a special shout out to a patron. This patron, I hope we say your name right, is Britton Sobe. Now, we are working towards our goal of producing more episodes and content each month, and every supporter on Patreon helps us get there. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you so much for your support. (laughs) That's right. It's truly appreciated. And if you are not yet a patron, but you're interested in becoming one, just go to patreon.com slash honey. I'm homeschooling the kids. Now, who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Dr. Gina Riley. Why did you interview her? I was really excited actually to interview her because I knew of her from years before through Dr. Peter Gray. And if any of you know of Dr. Peter Gray, he is a huge advocate of unschooling and self-directed learning. And he is one of the few that has done studies on unschoolers. And usually if you see his name, you'll see Dr. Gina Riley's name right beside his. So it's the two of them that have done studies on unschoolers. And Dr. Gina Riley, she herself was a parent who unschooled her son all the way through. He is an adult and music educator now. Um, But she's also still a professor and huge advocate of unschooling. And she's recently released the first academic book on unschooling. It's called Unschooling, Exploring Learning Beyond the Classroom. It's published by Palgrove Macmillan, and it's the first academic study devoted to unschoolers. And I think she's a fantastic person to have on the show to talk about all of the things we love to talk about, learning, self-directed learning. Uh, We even talked a bit about math, which is an ongoing discussion for Honey, Homeschooling the Kids this month. But uh, those are a few little reasons why. Is there anything else you would like to say? I think that's about it. Everything, if you want to have any connections to finding the book, you'll find in the show notes. And I am I would say enjoy the episode, but that's usually your line. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Enjoy the episode. So today I have Dr. Gina Riley on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're so welcome. So happy to be here. <laughs> Gina Riley, PhD, is an educational psychologist, clinical professor, and program leader of the Adolescent Special Education Program at City University, New York, Hunter College. Dr. Riley has over 15 years' experience working with teens diagnosed with early, sorry, with learning disabilities and emotional behavioral disorders. She is also a seasoned academic with years of teaching, research, and supervisory experience within the fields of special education, psychology, school psychology, and mental health counseling. In addition, Dr. Raleigh has extensive experience in online education and distance learning at the college-university level. She is known internationally for her works in the fields of homeschooling, unschooling, and self-directed learning. Her book, Unschooling, Exploring Learning Beyond the Classroom was published by Palgrave Macmillan in July 2020. Fantastic. Okay. I first heard of you through, actually years ago, through the survey that you and Peter Gray did on unschoolers. So that was my first introduction to your name. And then over time, I've, you know, I've seen you on interviews, I follow you on Facebook, and I've just been a fan of your work. And I'm excited that you've published this new book as well, and I'm already recommending it and referencing it to others. So um, I'm excited to get it as well. Oh, you're so kind. Thank (laughs) you. 
I just want to know a little bit about, I guess, your history and background. Uh, you know, on your bio, you have a lot of academic background as well. Uh, you're an educational psychologist, a researcher, professor, but you are, were also an unschooling parent. How did you get into the unschooling path? How did you get on that journey? I was. I was a um, unschooling parent. It seems so long ago because my son is 24 now and a full-blown <laughs> adult. Um, but it was actually the absolute best time of my life. Um, so I came to unschooling. Uh, we didn't really call it unschooling then. We really called it homeschooling. We didn't kind of you know have a label or a category. Um, but I came into it when my son was about four years old. I was a young single mom. I had really just, you know, had the opportunity to watch him play and watch him learn pretty much on his own and thought, why would I disrupt that? Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't send him to kindergarten. That was like a big, <gasps> to everyone else. Um, my mother is a guidance counselor. You know, I come from a family of educators, so not sending your kid to school is a big thing. Yeah, big no-no. Big no-no. But I got away with it because in New York State, there's actually no uh, kindergarten requirement. And so I kind of, I fell under that umbrella. And then it came to first grade and, you know, the same thing. We enjoyed the year so much. At the same time, we were homeschooling. I was also going to school and working um, and trying to fit everything in with our lifestyle. And so every year it just became a decision, right? It was sort of like when my son was younger, it was a decision we made together. And then as my son got older, it was something I asked him, like, do you still want to be doing this? And every year the answer was yes. And so his first day of school was his first day of college. Um, and... We did the whole thing. We're lifers. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's fantastic. That I didn't realize that you guys were lifers. Um, so, you know, a few questions come up as well. And I didn't realize that you were a single mom that raised yeah. your son on schooling. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And I, I know people are, if I don't ask this, I will get the questions after. Yeah, <laughs> Why sure. didn't you ask her this? How did you, like, how did you juggle it? How did you, because you were working as well, how did you juggle having uh, a child unschooling and work as well? Yeah, in so, New York. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so interesting. Um, I had a lot of support from my family. We lived in the basement of their house at the time. Um, and so when I had to go to school, they would do a lot of the childcare, even though a significant amount of my son's life was spent in college classrooms, he will say, because I brought <laughs> him to school a lot as well, both as a student and as a professor. Um, so he would often come to my undergrad classes and grad classes. And in the 90s, people were a little looser and that was kind of, you know, allowed per se. Um everyone says, how did you do it? And I just did, right? You do right. where your heart leads you and you do what your priorities say that you should do. Um, I worked online a lot at that time, which is why I have, you know, 20 years experience in distance learning because I started the whole online um, learning aspect of my life because I needed to be home with my son. And so being an online professor was something that I could match with my schedule and would allow me to be home and work at the same time. Um, also going to school online was something, again, very new. Uh, 
but that allowed me to spend time at home with my son and be home there. So I juggled a lot of things. I utilized a lot of the distance learning slash online opportunities available to me. And I just tried to make the time that we did have um, really focused on him. So again, I was running all around, um, but it, it worked out. And I ended up getting married when my son was 11. So I didn't do the whole thing alone, um, but I did do most of it as a single mother. And again, it was a really joyful period um, and full of, I think, great memories for both of us. Hmm. I love that. Okay. So as you were, as he was growing, as you were both growing, because I think it's a yeah. process we for everyone. growing together. Yeah. 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 It's not just, it's, it's, I think it's just as much, maybe even more so for the parent than, than the child, especially if you have a child that's never been to school. Um, did you, were there times where you were like, what am I doing? You know, are we doing the right thing? Should I just like go to this closest school and see if he wants to spend the day and then check him in there? Or were you always absolute like, this is beautiful. This is working. This is our path. I think I would doubt myself every single evening. Um, <laughs> it was so different then, right? Like I was homeschooling in the late 90s and the early 2000s and no one really did it. Um, I certainly didn't have like, anyone near me that did it. And our closest homeschool group was across the bridge. And so when I was doing it, it was very new. And I questioned a lot. My family questioned me a lot. Um, people surrounding me questioned me a lot. And so I think every single day I would think, my gosh, is, is it okay? Am I doing the right thing? Right. And you trust, um, you see your child happy and healthy and you move forward from there. Mm, yeah. The trust is a big thing though, eh? Yeah, you have to trust yourself. You have to trust your heart. You have to trust that you're doing the right thing for your child. Um, and it's hard, right? Because you have a lot of outside influences doing different things. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, the outside influences are a lot because it's not just, like you said, family. It's the broader community, especially if you're surrounded by, you know, for example, like educators in your family that really know a, one certain path and then broader society as well. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, the word trust and the meaning and idea that we hold of it is something that comes up a lot in conversations I find with homeschoolers and unschoolers, trusting ourselves and trusting our children, trusting the learning process and how it naturally works. Yeah. And I think it's extra, um, for me, there was an extra added layer because I am a teacher of teachers. Yes. Um, <laughs> I spend, again, half my life, right? teaching New York City public school teachers how to be great teachers. Right. Um, and of course, that adds just an extra layer of, my gosh, you know, I want to support public schooling and I want to support schooling as a whole, um, but I'm doing this for my child. Mm, okay. Because I was going to, like, did you say, you know, someone said, well, what about your kids when they go to school? Did you ever run into that situation in where you said, well, actually, I don't send my child to school. We choose to unschool instead. It's so funny. Um, I did not mention that a lot as he was growing up. It was only after he started college 
that I felt comfortable enough to like out us, right? And say, well, my child never went to school. Um, And I still don't actually say it a lot. The conversation doesn't come up a lot. Um, In fact, until my book came out, probably none of my students knew. Hmm. So it was a huge surprise for them. (laughs) (laughs) They thought unschooling, exploring, learning beyond the classroom was like, you know, all the fun things you could do outside the classroom. And it ended up being another book altogether. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's very recently that I've really become public with our lifelong journey. Okay. Well, that makes sense as well, because I know, I mean, obviously I've known your name through the study that you did with Peter Gray, but it's only recently that I have found out as well, because that makes sense. You're just recently going public. Um, Listening to your interviews and seeing your son, he wrote, I found just by chance, um, uh, because I'm part of the the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, a member of that. And he has a post written on their site and talking about growing up unschooling. And then I found, realized at the end of it that he is your son. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah. I mean, again, like I've been writing about this for a long time, even prior to um, Peter Gray and my unschooling study. Um, I've been writing about homeschooling. My master's thesis was on it in 1999. I published articles on it in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, we've been doing this for a while. And again, I, I, I've i been really quiet because, you know, it's it just seemed too risky to my professional career to come out, really. Um, and I didn't want to disappoint the teachers that I taught if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, it makes absolute absolute sense. Yeah. Also, I had a lot to prove, right? I was a single parent doing this by myself for a pretty long time. And so I almost felt like, well, my son has to like be okay for me to say that this was an okay thing, right? This whole educational experiment could have gone a whole other way. Um, Thankfully, again, you've read about my son. He's an incredible, incredible music educator. He's an incredible classical guitar player. Um, He's in graduate school right now. So it all turned out well. Um, And I feel very lucky for that, right? It it didn't have to have. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um, I hear you like, Right now, one of my roles in life is also uh, within the public school system. I'm a school board trustee. So it's interesting. I mean, I I had my podcast and have been a home educator long before I stepped into the board role. Um, But so people usually knew me already from that. But I absolutely got questions like, who are you to be on a public school board when you're unschooling your kids, <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting conversation for sure. There's um, some who are really unsure, some who are very excited about it, but I get both, absolutely both sides. I bet, but who better, right? How exciting. Yeah, I think we, especially now as well, having um, one diversity on a board different experiences. It's important. I think it's very important for education as a whole. So, um, and then I I, I worked in very kind of mainstream academic education before that as well. So yeah, it's been my journey. (laughs) That's why I say it's, for me, it's been my journey uh, as an adult and as a parent in this whole process, I think more so than for my kids even. So. I love it. I love hearing more about you too. (laughs) Um, 
But I want to hear more about you first. <laughs> we can talk more about me. <laughs> because what I also, you know, what I'm, because you said when you first started, it was quite a few years ago. And so unschooling was not really a, com, a, a term that was used very much. I know, I think there's early references to the term unschooling which by John Holt in one of his early books. But really, it's something I think even when we started, I had never heard of. It was a new term to me as well. Uh, when we started unschooling and I didn't know what it was called and I started, you know, I was worried that I was doing something really wrong and going way off track. And when I started, you know, researching and finding out information on learning and and I found out there were other people that were doing similar things with their families and there was a term called unschooling. It was eye-opening. It was a bit liberating as well. But for you, in those early times and now that you, you know, you recognize that you were unschooling, what would you say for you unschooling really is? Like if you're able to define it, how would you define it? Sure. So we have the definition that Peter Gray and I use, right? That it's learning with no curriculum, no extrinsic motivators, no tests or assessments. And then I have my own personal definition, which is it's learning through one's own intrinsic motivations. It's using one's own curiosity and passions to lead learning. Mm, okay. And how did that present itself for you and your son over the years? Yeah. I mean, I think it's so much fun, right? It's so much fun as a parent to watch your child and to watch them really get into their interests. So at first, when my child was four and five, it was geology. And so here's a kid that like at age six asked for a geology textbook for Christmas, right? And so like, it was fun. Like we used to explore rocks and he would like really talk about chemical composition. And it was just very different, right? You don't hear many six-year-olds really being interested in the chemical composition of rocks. But here I was having those conversations. Um, and then later on, my son got really into the world of golf. And it became like all sports all the time. And then later on, it became the classical guitar or music. And so he's had different interests and I've had the pleasure and the honor really of watching those different interests grow and develop um, over time, knowing that he didn't have one interest that lasted through the whole entire um, you know, childhood or adolescence. He had a bunch of interests that really led him to his current career. So it's it's been really fun to watch. It was really fun to be an unschooling mom, just being able to witness that, right? Just being able to mm. witness love of learning all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's also interesting as well because like you're, you're a teacher to teachers and, you know, we've, we've had, had many, I have many friends who are teachers and educators and family members as well. And I do find that, for teachers, teachers really support self-directed learning, like really at the core, they understand that learning is an internal process, really based on our experiences and how we interpret them and take them and evaluate and deconstruct them and move forward to other experiences. Uh, I actually find that they're huge in that way, huge supporters of unschooling. But in the classroom and in the institution, they become limited in what they can do. So in some ways, it's like your hands become tied in and how you support the learning process. 
how like do you feel that do you um what do you think about that because i'm just also thinking of your role of teaching teachers how do you like how do you present it to them in their studies and in the classroom yeah i don't specifically <laughs> i wasn't expecting you to say that right? <laughs> Unless, you know, unless I've been asked to talk about unschooling, um, and I've been asked more recently, and I'm really proud of my uh, university for asking me more recently to talk about this. But unless I'm asked specifically about unschooling, um, I really teach my teachers to teach within the structures that they're in. Mm, Okay. It means instead of using the word unschooling or homeschooling, I lean on the term intrinsic motivation for learning. Um, And you'll note that in all my writings forever and ever, I've always leaned into that term. I am a huge fan of self-determination theory by DC and Ryan. I write about it all the time. And so I anchor the learning and the lessons about unschooling. And I'll never say the word, but I'll say intrinsic motivation and self-determination all day long. Mm. Um, So I really lean into the theory. I really lean into internal or intrinsic motivation. Okay. And that's what I do when I talk about love of learning with my teachers. You know, they are in systems that have specific structures and they keep their jobs by making their administrators happy. Um, And I want administrators to be happy too. There's a lot of amazing administrators out there that are doing awesome work and the best they can, again, in a structure that's been created. So whether they're administrators or teachers, my job is not to you know, really talk about the world outside school unless specifically asked because I'm so busy and they're so busy thinking about the world inside school um, and how to create more intrinsically motivating structures within. So I, again, I lean on self-determination theory a lot. I lean on intrinsic motivation a lot. Hmm, okay. Yeah, that's really clear. And I understand that as well. And it's um, maybe not as scary, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I think, you know, sometimes that word unschooling for some who maybe are just introduced to it as well, it feels really opposite to school. Yeah. And I never wanted to, right? I think there are always ways that you can create unschooling like feelings at school. Um, again, I'll, I'll talk to my teachers about it as, as facilitating intrinsic motivation. We're just, you know, we're just hitting that, that point now that we can talk about this. I think in this time of remote schooling, a lot of our conversations have been, this is not working, or it's really hard for my child or teen to be online for eight periods a day. Um, And so what do we do? Where is time to explore different interests and things like that? So I think the conversation now in education circles is starting. And I'm really happy about that. I'm really also happy that people have had some extended time at home in this horrible, horrible global pandemic. And I don't want to, you know, say, wow, I'm really happy that this happened. Um, But I'm really happy that there's been a sea of change and a little bit more openness with regards to homeschooling and intrinsically motivated learning and learning outside the classroom. Mm, Right, right. I think what you have just said, one, will be really helpful to many educators who have now found themselves on this path, whether they are 
you know, their kids are at home and doing online learning or homeschooling in some form, or who have chosen just to homeschool or unschool their kids, because I actually get a lot of messages from teachers who are former teachers or still teaching and have decided to try this path. And I find for them, because you probably have heard this many times, new parents to homeschooling or unschooling will say, well, I'm not a teacher, so I don't think I'll be able to educate my kids. Um, I don't have the qualifications. How will I be able to do this? And then I hear from teachers and educators, they say, no, like, actually, that's hard for us because, you know, we're used to this certain way. So to try and flip it is actually quite difficult. And they're almost trying to reconcile how to make those worlds meet. Uh, the way you just described it was so clear. And I think it actually will soothe some souls, <laughs> some some angst. I think some are feeling right now as well, especially in this time period of COVID. I mean, I think my role, right, is just to make everyone comfortable in the roles that they've chosen for themselves. That's really, really important to me. Um, I want to make my teachers comfortable to talk about teaching. I want to make my, you know, people I know who homeschool and unschool comfortable enough to talk about homeschooling and unschooling. Um, I'd love the two to come together someday. So it's really important that people be comfortable in their roles And then when they swap roles for people to talk together, right? I think that teachers should be really um, listening to the home or unschooling community more. I think the home or unschooling community have a lot to learn from teachers as well and the education system as a whole. Um, So starting the conversation together, it's, it's just, it's been nice to be able to do that, to not have the two be so separated and to have the two come together for once. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much learning and knowledge to share. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think now the platforms are opening as well so that it can be shared and it's more accessible as well. Yeah, it's so nice to hear about homeschooling in more education circles. And it's really been nice. Um, again, I'm so proud of Hunter and the way they've responded to my work, um, which can seem very radical at times. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did that come about that you're able to, yeah, that they are supporting the book and you're able to write and and publish Unschooling, Exploring Learning Beyond the Classroom. Yeah, it's been really interesting. My son will laugh and he'll say, Mom, it took a global pandemic for people to... <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes external push is needed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to appreciate your work. Um, but it was, it was that time in March, right, where everyone was sent home when everyone was in lockdown and people were like, well, what do we do now? Um, and finally, I had enough research to say, here's what you do. And so that opened up the conversation, I think, at the academic level, um, that opened up the conversation just in a more public level. And so that's been really really nice. Um, I will say that my role is a clinical professor. So I do more clinical work with teachers than I actually do uh, writing and research. My writing and research is sort of just this different path that I take. Um, And again, I I try to keep those two paths um, separate, but also complementary. But yeah, I'm really proud of, I'm really proud of the way um, Hunter has been so supportive of my work. I mean, colleagues have been wonderful and administration has been wonderful and they've been really embracing um, this book, which is really exciting. Yeah, that is. I think it's fantastic, actually. Um, and, and so for the work within the book, 
where did you pull from? Where did you take your studies and your information? How did you gather that? And what was your base? Sure. So um, Peter Gray and I are pretty much the ones that have done a lot of the large scale work on unschooling. Um, yes. So a lot of the book is taken from that that large scale research. Of course, a lot of the book is also taken from my own research that I've done for years and years on intrinsic motivation and self-determination learning. Um, anywhere, right? Like in the peer reviewed databases where there was unschooling, I tapped it. Um, and you'll notice my, you know, everyone in my family says you end every chapter with like more research is needed because it is. Right? It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud that this is the first academic book on unschooling. And again, because it was an academic book, the peer reviewed aspect of it is really important. Um, of course, I've I used all the resources I could possibly have from the Alliance and from um, a podcast I did with uh, Kevin Curry Knight called Learning by Living. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, our resources there, but this is an academic book and I, I wanted it because in the academic arena, there's not a lot of work on unschooling. And so it was really important to compile all the work that there was thus far and put it out there so that we have a academic basis for this thing we are doing as a community. Mm -hmm. um, one of the reasons I wrote this book, and I'm never shy about it, right, is because when I was a 24-year-old single mother making this decision for my child, I was scared. Um, I had a lot of fear. There was no research on it. No one could tell me that my child would be okay. I might have just been doing this grand educational experiment that wouldn't have worked out. Mm. Um, and so I wrote this book for 24-year-old Gina so that she could give it to her mom, who was an educator, and say, well, there's this person who wrote this book, and they're from an actual college, and here's the research. Mm. Um, that's that's really the reason I wrote the book. And I think that's the reason why this book is being passed along in that way as well. Oh, you, you know... You, you hear, well, where's the research? Where's the proof? I'd like to read something on it. And it's here, here, here's a, here's the research. Here's the book. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, I understand that completely. And thank you. Grateful that you have created it. I think it's the first, and I hope it's many more, much more to come as well. Yeah, no, I have really exciting, exciting projects lined up. Um, so I'm so excited about about this publication and as well as future publications. I'm leaving space for you to tell me more. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't actually. <laughs> I am um, I'm currently writing a, um, a more popular book on homeschooling. And actually, I can't talk anymore about it. Fair enough. <laughs> Everyone just stay tuned. Just keep I watching know, right? and you'll know when it can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's no big secret, right? And hopefully it will help a lot of parents who are homeschooling right now and have maybe are choosing to homeschool in the future. So it's, it you know, it's a really exciting time to be in the homeschooling or unschooling realm right now because finally, finally, people are starting to understand what we do. Yeah, that's right. That, that's, that's so right. 
Okay, so I actually wanted to ask you a few questions that I think common questions that I get a lot. I'm sure you probably hear quite a bit. I think you would be a great person <laughs> to answer some of these questions that um, that unschoolers get. You know, so there's a lot of fear, like you said. You wrote it for the 20 your book for the 24 year old Gina who had started out was uncertain, didn't know how things were going to turn out. You, you know, if you only could have this book and hand it to your mother, who's an educator and was questioning your choices. But there are some common ones that seem to come up quite a bit. Uh, really, a lot, many times they are around the themes of how will, you know, if I don't teach my kids, how will they actually learn anything? If they're not going to school, how are they going to learn what they need to know? You know, it's the John Holt answer. We learn all the time. Um, School gives us textbooks and materials that are used, but we have everywhere, everywhere in our lives. We are learning while we're walking. We're learning while we're at the library. We're learning while we're grocery shopping. So it's not so much like, how do we do this? It's more of let's trust ourselves in doing this. Um, We as humans are learning all the time. Think about times when you are on your best ever Saturday as, gosh, who said that? The homeschooling is like the best ever Saturday. I don't, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, no. Oh my gosh. And I blanked on the um, person that said that, but I love that description that homeschooling is like the best ever Saturday. It's really spending time doing what you love and what you're interested in. And, you know, we know that kids and teens learn more when they're doing what they're interested in. The learning is more absorbed. The learning is more processed. They can generalize the learning more. We also know that all of this works because we now have outcome studies that say, you know, the kids are going to be fine. You can leave kids to learn um, using their own curiosity and self-determination and intrinsic motivation, and the kids are going to be fine. They may have gaps in their learning. That is no surprise. Even traditionally schooled individuals have gaps in learning. Um, The one thing we know about unschoolers in particular that's especially impressive is that unschoolers know how to learn. And so if they don't know something, they know how to either look it up or find resources so that they could learn it. And that's really the biggest gift you could ever give a kid is to teach a kid how to learn. Yeah, that's true self-determination in that way then as well. Autonomy and self-determination when they can say, I, I don't know this. I want to know this. I'm interested in knowing this. Okay, I'm going to go and, and find out what I need to know and learn what I need to know. Yeah. And I think, you know, unschooling is not like leaving your kid <laughs> to their own devices all the time. There's right. a ton of facilitation that's going on in unschooling. There is a ton of using parents and friends and community members as resources. So it's not this kid learning on their own all the time, right? Um, they know how to utilize the resources around them. Right. Yeah, that's very true. So then unschooling is knowing how to learn when unschoolers really have that gift of knowing how to learn. 
So the next question we get as well as, okay, I get that. Following your interests is beautiful and wonderful. And I see how you can get more focused in that. But what about things like math, especially higher level math, like in high school? Don't they need to know that? And how will they learn that if they're not told to go to math class? Sure. You know, we don't have a lot of studies of how unschoolers learn math. It's a study I'm involved in right now. Um, I know it's a study that other researchers are interested in as well. What I will say is there is so much math in real life uh, through budgeting, through learning how to balance a checkbook, through going to the grocery store, to buying you know your own large purchase. There is so much math in real life that it does indeed generalize. Um, in terms of higher level math, we do hear of unschoolers really just getting into like wanting to know algebra and wanting to know calculus and really getting into that because they have that love of numbers. Um, there are a ton in traditional school of math anxious kids who don't want to learn algebra or calculus yes. because they have not learned yet to love numbers. Yes. Um, and so I think we have to look to that, right? We don't have a lot of studies on how unschoolers learn higher level math. I'm not going to pretend that we do. I will tell you from personal experience, when my son had to take the GREs for grad school, it was all about him going back to Khan Academy, teaching himself math, getting prep books, teaching himself that, and he knew how to do it. Um, so yes, there are higher level things that your kids are going to have to learn to do. And if they take any sort of um, aptitude test or any sort of exam, they're going to have to learn how to take those types of tests. But again, you have that sort of unschoolers learn, know how to learn theme going on. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you from personal experience as well as professional experience that that's really how it works. They gain an interest in numbers. They're interested in numbers. They have a strong number sense. And so they go on to Khan Academy and they're like, oh my gosh, algebra is really cool. I can do this, right? Um, so let's go on and let's go on to trigonometry and let's move forward. We don't have to have a class for everything right? We can naturally learn things and naturally learn things ourselves with guidance. And we also have the entire internet to teach us. <laughs> yes. so, so it's really not like we're missing out on this big thing that everyone thinks we're missing out on, whether it be math class or whether it be chemistry class. There are all the resources you need to learn math or chemistry online for free. And I think that that, again, is one thing we need to give unschoolers credit for. Um, they know how to utilize resources. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. I think, um, and maybe this is just a little, I'm just putting this out there, because I think Khan Academy is probably one yeah. of the most utilized resources for unschoolers. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you know, Khan Academy is how my son taught himself math for the GREs. My kids as well. That, yeah. They love Khan Academy. They, they love Khan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you, Khan Academy, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. Thank you, Salman. For like, yeah, exactly. So here we go. We're not from, I'm like, I'm not even, we're just, <laughs> this no. is no affiliate or sponsor. No, no, no. We just, 
There you go. Salman, we love Khan Academy. Yeah. (laughs) I will also say that there's a lot of math in life and there are a lot of like measurement based math in life. So I remember one time when my uh, son was helping to refurbish an old car with a neighbor. I didn't actually realize how important this time was with the neighbor until later on. Um, and so he was learning the principles of mechanics and through the principles of mechanics, you of course have to know higher level math. And it's those things that you see unschoolers do through something else. They go ahead and learn higher level math. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was actually just speaking where I just had an interview the other day and it was with, he's a software engineer and he has a math program and we were talking about, you know, math and its applications and where we see it. I mean, every day, especially now with social media and data and marketing and all that sort of stuff as well. But, you know, with my, my, right now, my son, Ben Khan is doing trigonometry and, it's interesting because I was telling him, I'm like, you know, I don't even remember d- taking trigonometry in, in high school. I know I did somewhere. <laughs> I don't really remember learning those. Con- I understand them and I know them, but I don't actually, I can't remember. I can't go, oh, that was this grade or that was this math teacher. But my son uses it a lot on, cause he loves to, like he loves the outdoors and hunts and fishes and he like he, and obviously he gets a lot of time to dive into that mm-hmm. and do all of that. But all of that I see, I recognize when he talks about like distance and measuring accuracy and angles and when he's scouting and positioning and all of those things that are just naturally occurring. But as he's talking it through, as he's doing that with on Khan Academy, it's like, uh, you know, it's just, it just seems to click because of the practical application that he's already used and experienced in his everyday life when using that. Yeah. And I think that's something that has to be um, more publicized, right? You know, when you're teaching teachers to teach kids, you're teaching teachers to teach kids to teach them the basics first, and then they can generalize. And in unschooling and homeschooling, it's the opposite. We generalize first into the real world, and then we kind of can go back and say, okay, we need to know this to go ahead and learn more about whatever interest we have. So I think that's really, really cool. Right, right. Yeah, that's exactly the, it's like, the, it's a, it's switched yep. the way it happens it's in school. Like, yeah. like backwards, almost like backwards planning, lesson planning. It's backwards yes. planning, right? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And because it is switched, when we're so used to it going in one trajectory, when it's going opposite and when it's going backwards, it's, it's kind of hard to understand until we get more used to that, more used to the process. 100% yes. Right. Okay. So what about something like reading early on? That's one thing I hear as well too is, you know, what about how will I teach my kids to read? How will they read if they, you know, my kids play so much? You know, they play all day long. How are they going to le- learn to read a book if all they're doing is playing? Yeah, I um, was very, very interested in this a couple of years ago and wrote a study on how unschoolers and homeschoolers learn to read. Um, Harriet Pattison has also done a significant amount of work on this in the UK. And what I think is really interesting is, you know, in the States, we expect um, kids to learn to read by age seven for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And if they don't learn by age seven, we are very, very um, concerned. 
Mm-hmm. And we may send them out for evaluation for something like dyslexia. Yeah. There's a, there's something wrong. There's signal something that's wrong. Yeah. And what we know from our studies of unschoolers and homeschoolers who learn to read is that kids learn to read at a variety of different ages. There is nothing magic about learning at age six or seven. We had homeschoolers and unschoolers in the study that learned to read at four, and we had homeschoolers and unschoolers in the study that learned to read at 13. And if they learned to read at 13, they read faster and then they caught up. And if they learned to read at, read at four, then you know it was just like this early reading thing. Um, kids learn to read by being exposed to the written word. They also learn to read by hearing language. So the more you expose kids to the written word, and this doesn't mean like, let's read a book together now, right? Um, I think a lot of times if kids see you reading, they want to know what you're reading. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you're on a highway and there's signs, they want to know what the sign says. If you are, you know, at the grocery store, they want to know which cereal has the most sugar in it, right? Like, they want to know where's the most delicious cereal. And they're not just looking at pictures to find out, right? They're like looking at the one that says chocolate and that's the one I want. Um, So words are all around kids and it's really just about embracing um, the word rich, the language rich environment that we live in. I, my son learned to read by being read to a lot, but my son also learned to read because he was interested in sort of cracking the code of reading. We didn't do phonics or explicit phonics, although I, I won't lie. I think I did. I wanted to. I was like, let's read these Bob books because it has like a phonetic basis. And he was like, yeah, these are boring. Let's do something else. Right. Uh, right? Um, and so it, you know, you, there's so much literature on the fact that kids learn to read naturally, unless, of course, and again, I'm a special educator, so I, I believe in the neurobiological disorder of dyslexia, right? I'm not saying dyslexia doesn't exist. Um, but I will say that a large majority of children can read on their own and will be able to read, but it might not be at the magic age of six or seven. I will also say that a smaller majority of kids may have dyslexia and may need more support in reading. So if you are an unschooling parent who, okay, so I'm I'm thinking as well, I I agree 100%. um, I've seen that as well with my kids and with other friends, whether they read early or late. Um, You know, we have friends who they uh, didn't read until 12, but they are all voracious readers. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get the book out of their hands now yeah. kind of thing. But uh, so, but when you're saying, talking about dyslexia as well, what would you say to parents who are concerned who say, you know, I, you know, we haven't pushed it. We have a, we create a, an atmosphere of, of loving learning <laughs> and mm-hmm. of reading. You know, we read out loud. We, we just talk about it. We talk about literature or movies or, or what else, but, how, what if I have concerns? What would you recommend? Yeah. So I always say, you know, it's a warning sign when your kid is like allergic to text or allergic to conversations. All kids want to have conversations and all kids want to figure out like what the words say. Um, and so if your kid comes to like eight or nine and, and they, and you feel like they're allergic to text, that they're, they're really not even looking at it. Right. Cause we tend to not look at 
what we struggle with, right? I don't want to see it right. because it, it's struggling to me. Um, there is nothing wrong with going to a understanding psychologist and getting a neuropsych evaluation, um, focusing just on reading. I know that to some people that sounds extreme, but if you really think, again, just like any physical illness, if you really thought that there was something wrong, you would bring your child to an expert. So if there, if you really think that there's something wrong, bring your child to an expert and see what the expert says. There is no shame in, you know, medical or neuropsych evaluations for dyslexia if you feel deeply like there's something wrong. And most parents will have an intrinsic sense of, you know, this is more than just my child's a late reader. Um, and you trust your gut on that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And then when you're looking for an evaluation, I've heard this as well. Many times if you're going through one that is usually one that does it through the school and immediately say they're a little bit older and just they're not reading, that is part of the evaluation that brings concern. Is there anything else that they do with the structure of the evaluations that would help get a good idea? I mean, I would just make sure that you are with an evaluator you're comfortable with. Um, so in many states in the United States, you know, as part of an IEP process, homeschoolers can get an IEP. And so homeschoolers can also have a free um, low cost evaluation from the psychologist. But I, I would make sure that you go to an evaluator that you are comfortable with, um, that understands the situation. The evaluator has tests, um, and most of them are just phonological reading tests. And of course, age is going to be a concern, but an evaluator will be able to tell the difference between true neurobiological dyslexia and more of a late reading issue, um, as long as they have a good understanding of the research, right? Um, and so that's why I think the choosing of the evaluator is really important. Um, I'll tell a personal story that I don't normally share. But when my son was about six, our pediatrician was highly concerned that my son had Asperger's syndrome because he had that very focused interest on geology. Mm -hmm. Of course, if you have like a very focused stereotypical interest, then, oh my gosh, right? right. Um, yeah. And when asked, you know, who his friends were, my son named all of his friends who were people of different ages. Right. And this really concerned the doctor a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so not only does this kid have this focused interest, but he's also talking about his 67-year-old neighbor who he goes and fixes cars with, right? <laughs> now I'm just like, oh dear. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I can relate, yes. Yeah, can you, can you hear this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I... Um, Again, I was a fearful parent, right? I was I was nervous. I didn't want there to be anything wrong with my child and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be missing something, right? I studied psychology. Yeah. I didn't want to be missing something. And so I brought him to a specialized doctor, explained our situation. This doctor was really so wonderful and kind and really understood us, which I so appreciated. Um and he said at the end, so he interviewed my son and it was like a really in-depth interview, so in-depth that my son still remembers it. And he brought me in and he said, well, your son really knows about geology. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> hey, 
does, right? <laughs> and your son seems to have a lot of, you know, he's he's had a lot of friends at different ages. And I'm like, yep, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the end it was like nope he does not have asperger's <laughs> right there is no autism um your son is a unique kid and he is also homeschooled <laughs> and it was it was an interesting experience right because here i am i'm i'm really listening to my pediatrician i'm knowing in my gut that yeah no it doesn't it doesn't feel right um but yet I wanted to get that second opinion. And something sometimes that second opinion makes you sleep better at night. Right. Yeah, it absolutely does. Thank you for sharing that. Like yeah. both the, the information and your personal story. Uh, it's, I really appreciate it. So thank yeah, you very much for sharing that. Of course. I think it's something that, you know, it's, yeah, we just... Again, and going back to even your book and the research and the studies, all of this information helps, especially when sometimes it feels like it's uncharted territory, even though it's not. But because it is so, you know, different, it's undoing, <laughs> quotes on the undoing, so many things that we traditionally just believe to be absolutely true, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's... It's uh, it's forging a new path in so many ways. So it's thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. So the other um, the other question that comes up quite a bit, and I again, I think because you and your son would be great examples to answer this as well. Um, if they're unschooling and they've never had the experience of school, how will they, when they are an adult, what opportunities will be open to them? So if they want to get a job and need a high school diploma, or they want to go to post-secondary school, how will they be able to do those things if they are unschoolers? Yeah, everything is open and available to you. Um, Every <laughs> path is open, right? You might, again, not do it the traditional way, but every single path is open. Um, and we know this from Peter Gray and I's study of uh, young adult unschoolers that we did in 2015. We were really curious about how unschoolers fared in adulthood. We were also really curious about their college and career paths. Um, and what we saw interestingly is that, yeah, I mean, people had no problem getting into college. They got into college in alternative ways. Um, there was more portfolio-based work. There was more taking standardized tests to quote unquote prove the worth, right? Um, there was more reaching out to a program director of a department in a college and telling them their experience so that they can then tell them how the best way to apply would be. So there's so many different ways to get into college. And the way I advise parents is I say, you know, really look at the admissions criteria of the college or university your child has chosen and go from there. Um, also talk to the admissions departments because they have a lot of experience now with homeschoolers 
and they recruit homeschoolers actively. Um, I love when recruiters from Ivy League colleges call my office because I think it's hysterical, right? They're like, how do we get to these homeschoolers, right? <laughs> <laughs> how do we do this? Um, I, I we was, need the network. Come on, yeah, Gina, hook us up here. Oh, I love that call, right? And I'm always surprised by it. I love that call because it makes me so happy. It makes me um, realize that we've come a long way that, you know, the Ivy League colleges and and the more traditional college, they know that homeschoolers and unschoolers have a learning profile that they want. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. want intrinsically motivated, well-rounded learners. And they know that homeschoolers and unschoolers have it. And so now they're actively seeking it. In terms of diplomas, if there is a need for a paper diploma, there are lots of options to get a paper diploma. Um, So if that's a need, I would encourage people to do a Google search. Um, If they need paperwork from a district, if you've registered as a homeschooler, districts are more friendly to giving out paperwork. I mean, it might not say anything useful. Um, I know my district just gave my son a letter at 16 that said he finished his home education from age six to 16, um, which, you know, was helpful in the college application process. But it was also helpful that my son had a portfolio and that I kept all the quarterly reports and end of the year reports we sent to the district. So keep your paperwork, use it for good, Um, It really does help in the college admissions process. And again, we know that, you know, homeschoolers and unschoolers have no issue getting into college and actually have higher academic outcomes than your traditionally schooled students. So that's always good news. Yeah. We also know that in terms of career, um, a lot of unschoolers will choose more entrepreneurial routes But we also had a lot of unschoolers choosing more STEM-based routes, which surprised us, right? Like, we always think science, technology, engineering, and math is something that homeschoolers don't do. Um, But it ends up being something that, like, unschoolers do a lot, right? Because they're always working with the world around them. So, again, the future is unlimited. The options are unlimited, The admissions part, you know, it might be more alternative, just like you've chosen an alternative route to education, your, your admissions is going to be more alternative. It might not be submitting the high school transcript, submitting SAT scores. Um, And you'll have to consult with the college or university in that. Uh, A lot of unschoolers use community college as a stepping stone. Community college is a way for unschoolers to gain a transcript. And so that's why a lot of unschoolers did that. My son did a um, sort of like a, a program at Berkeley College of Music when he was 16 to when he was 18, and that provided him with college credits and a transcript to go on to a more traditional route as he was entering um, a four-year university. Okay, yeah. There, that's the thing. The opportunities and the options are actually really vast. It's oh, just yeah. you have to just do the footwork to find them, and uh, and I think the beauty of it as well is because our kids have lived a path of following their interests and passions for so long, it's kind of like, well, why wouldn't I do that as an adult as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's the nice thing too, right? Like unschoolers have more real world experience. 
than traditionally schooled kids who have been in a classroom their entire life. They kind of know how the world works more. And so what we see in terms of social and emotional transition to college is that it's not so much of a transition socially or emotionally because they understand how the world works. My son will say there were some things he had to learn um, and he's written about this. He will say that he had to learn how to follow a, a schedule He had to learn how to listen to lectures for information that was going to be on the text or on the test and not listen to lectures just for enjoyment. (laughs) (laughs) He will say that's one of the main things he had to learn. Um, And he also really, I mean, he knew, I knew, everyone knew he had to work on his handwriting. Um, And he did that in college. He's a wonderful, amazing writer and is now uh, looking for editing jobs. So... (laughs) I mean, okay with the writing, even though it was such a point yeah. of contention throughout our whole unschooling career. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, everything is going to be an adjustment. It's an adjustment for traditionally schooled kids as well to go to college. Um, so it's just about embracing different parts of the adjustment process. Yeah, that's right. And I know for a while as well, the big, one of the big concerns of post-secondary had was that so many kids who entered their first year were not completing it. And that was the whole reason why they started promoting kids to have a gap year before they started going to school, because the success rate was dwindling. It was going on very, very quickly and they were concerned. And then they were concerned that they wouldn't return if they left because the success rate was so low. Yeah. And unschoolers are very good at gap years. Because they've yes. had them their entire lives. That's right. <laughs> they've been living a gap year. Yeah, their whole life has been a gap year. Yeah. <laughs> you want them to work, they've worked. If you want them to travel, they have traveled. That's right. <laughs> you want them to do some research, they have researched they the end of the earth, whatever they have been yeah. interested in. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I told my my daughter, she's eleven, and we realized we were having dinner last night and we were saying how she, you know, she really got into Hamilton over this yeah. time because it was released on Disney and she already knew about it. And we watched it. So many her and her friends, you know, like everyone's talking about it and watched it and loved it. She loved it. And she spent like the first, I don't know, four, like all fall, like all the four months from August, September to to Christmas pretty well, immersed in Hamilton lore and American history and that time period and the characters. And like she found, she was like, I found this class, mom, can I take it? Like, can you help me register for it? And books and, and oh my goodness, it was like Hamilton everything. But what she like, it's amazing. (laughs) When I think about what she has taken from it, right, in every way, and she loves theater, and she's very musical, and she sings, and everything as it is, and she couldn't, because of COVID, she couldn't do drama this year, she couldn't do her musical she wanted to do, but in, in another way, she was able to immerse herself in that, and then get a whole other learning out of it, and yeah, it was beautiful to see and to watch, it was really, really cool. I love it, love it, love it. We love Lin-Manuel Miranda at Hunter. He used to be a sub at Hunter College High School. No way. Yeah, oh, so we love him. an alumni too. And so we no love him. <laughs> oh, big fan. I'll have, to, I'll have to tell my daughter that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm so excited to hear that. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Some great. You're in good company. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So I also want to be mindful. So you're on the East Coast, right? You're in Eastern time? I am. 
Okay. Okay. So yeah, I want to be mindful. I know you have some things coming up as well. And I am just so grateful for it to have you on the show. Um, a wealth of knowledge. I could pick your brain for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and um, I, I, can you let us know where we can find your book? Because I know many are interested in reading it and getting it. How can we get your new book? Sure. So it is an academic book. So it is pricey, but I would look at publisher sales. They have them every so often. Um, It is, you can get it on the Palgrave Macmillan website. It is called Unschooling, Exploring, Learning Beyond the Classroom. Um, And it is, I mean, it's it's really pricey, but again, it's the only research-based book on unschooling there is. Um, But again, look for those publisher sales because they often have them. Mm-hmm. There was actually just one recently. I know it was just in the U.S. though it wasn't offered in Canada, which where I am. Oh, this thinker. We'll keep our, we'll keep our eye out for it yeah. as well too, and I'll, I'll include it on the website too. That link to Palgrave Macmillan, and um, so anyone that's interested can find it too. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Um, and I think I just want to ask you one last question before we go as well, um, especially because of your experience and your background, uh, unschooling, and as well in education and teaching teachers, what do you see for the future of the institution of education? I really think that unschooling is going to be the future of education. Um, I really think that we're going to rely less on test scores and more on holistic-based assessments. I think we are going to rely less on a prescribed curriculum and more a curriculum based on interests, or at least curriculum that is more grounded in real world learning. Um, I'm really hoping that the two worlds can meld together. I think that's really always my hope that the world of traditional education and the world of unschooling can see, can both see the vast benefits that they carry and can integrate. Um, I think there's a lot of future in self-directed learning, and I hope to see that more in traditional schools. We do already. You have high-tech high school. You have the Independence Project at Great Barrington High School. So we see examples of this. And I know um, everyone in education right now is interested in intrinsic motivation. So we know it's coming. It's just it's just about when. Hopefully sooner than later, but hey, you know, I'm happy with the way it's going so far. Me too, me too. We're we're here to see a big change already that's happening, and that's pretty cool, because I wasn't sure before when exactly it was going to start shifting even more, but it it is. It is happening now. Yeah. Peter Gray will always talk about the tipping point, right? And and this is it, I think. Yeah, this is it. I agree. Well, thank you, Dr. Gina Riley. I am so thankful and it was an enjoyable hour and I cannot wait to connect again. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy.